0: Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so. I don't have a fire. It's not delightful.
1: I can I can literally hear the wind. I have to admit something. I'm I'm so worn out that when you started singing that, I start. I thought you were singing a uh, singing a different and far far creepier Christmas song, and was very close to being like, "Do not finish the rest of this song." Uh, and then I, just- I figured it out. I was like, "No, no, this is not that song. This is a different song."
2: It just reminded me of a parody tweet of that song that I saw, which goes, the weather outside is frightful. Inside is also frightful. Cause in every room in the house, full of crows, full of crows,
0: full of crows. I- I'm not sure. You should have sung I- it. <laughs> you should have sung it. Jason is right. <laughs> Number one, Jason is right. Number two, I'm not sure I'm happier having heard that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> full of crows full of crows full
0: i'm of crows. certain i'm not happier having heard that
2: <laughs> i mean it makes sense uh, how, uh two-thirds of this podcast live uh near places where uh, edgar and poe lived
1: that's true i'm not the poe toaster before anyone charges me with that it's not me <laughs> It happened before I was old enough to know who Ed Allan Poe was. I How wasn't around. How does Edgar Allan Poe come up in two of the last
0: three episodes we've done?
1: It, these are dark. It's dark, dark times, and and the winter is coming, and uh, and it's full dealing, of crows. It's li- we're literally in dark times. Like the sun sets too early. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. We we are approaching. We're, we're, really that time. we're within mere days of the winter solstice. If you want to get into the macabre,
0: this is the time of the year to do it. And I
2: really love the winter solstice because I hate the days getting shorter and love when they start getting longer again. So
0: please come, O solstice. So, Ben, would you prefer – do you like the day two days after the solstice or the day two days after the autumnal equinox? Which one of those do you like better? Because one Hmm. of them, the days are getting shorter. Yeah. And the other one they're getting longer, but one of them has much more sunlight than the other.
2: Yes, I think overall I prefer two days after the okay. autumnal equinox, because even though it's the days are getting shorter, it, there's still so much more sun at the autumnal equinox that it hasn't crossed. I mean, there are good yet.
0: arguments for um two days after the, the the solstice. One, that's my birthday. So that one's pretty great. Um if you like snow a lot, then Recent years haven't give you, given you much reason to uh, enjoy it, but, you know, there's the potential for snow. But generally, you know, that part of fall or really, yeah, early fall, it's generally better than than winter when it's dark.
2: Yeah. Well, autumn is my second favorite
0: season. You want to give us a definitive ranking?
2: Yeah. Spring, autumn, summer, winter.
0: Ben Bromley, not a fan of extremes, (laughs) except for extreme hot takes.
2: I don't know.
0: I like the coin drop sound effect. That's that's a nice touch.
1: Oh, that was the bottle Bottle cap. cap. Bottle cap being set down.
0: (laughs) Now that we've lost all momentum. um, Hey, hey, welcome in. Yep. This is filibuster. The um, seasonal take. And Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Jason Anderson and the the triumphant Ben Bromley, back from the the wars against his ISP and technology in general. I guess we're all veterans of the wars I, against technology. I
2: have, te- I have temporarily defeated my uh, large national ISP that everyone dislikes, but I assume I will be back in battle That's with them all of them.
0: Soon. There's there's few universal truths in the world but one of them is you will hate your cable company slash isp no matter who they are no matter how how their service compares to anyone else you will hate them that's been my experience pretty much yeah we've got a we've got a good show for you tonight we're going to break down mls cup toronto fc beat the seattle sounders two to nothing In that one. And then in the second segment, we're going to break down some news. We got news. We have actual player movement to discuss and discuss it. We will before we do anything though, Ben, you're back. What are you drinking to celebrate your, uh, your victory?
2: So, um, legend brewing company is the oldest extant, uh, microbrewery here in Richmond, Virginia. And, They've had to step up their game recently and a lot of their new recent seasonals are much better than, uh, what they had been producing and getting by on. So I'm drinking their Ember Ale, which is a winter ESB, extra strong bitter, uh, which is an English style of beer. And it's got a lot of maltiness, uh, with some, uh, depth and then some also a little hop finish at the end. And it's, uh, it's fairly tasty.
0: Good. Wait, is it extra yeah. strong bitter or extra special bitter? I always thought ESP was. It's I both, guess it's, it's, both. it's
2: both. It's both. They they on their website they call this an extra okay. strong. Bitter.
0: I've always thought it was special, but it's it's actually either. That's good to know.
2: Yep. Yeah, I was reading the Wikipedia page at one point, and there's like this whole hierarchy of bitters and like regular bitters and like boys huh. bitter
1: and
0: I all do love an ESP. I just and now I know something more about them than I did. 30 seconds ago hooray jason what are you drinking
1: uh i am a known fan of the esb and i am drinking an esb Uh, (laughs) i have uh heavy seas uh brewing's uh winter storm it's an imperial esb Hmm. um it's uh one i look forward to uh this time of year it comes out um I personally want more breweries to make more ESBs. We live in a, we have a different acronym beer in which you you can't uh go into a liquor store without having uh IPAs fall from the ceiling at you. It's ridiculous. Um yep. we need a little more diversity uh, and I did would I, like to Did I tell you guys the
2: about the did I Tell you guys about the brewery I went to uh a couple of weeks ago where there were no, they had 12 beers on tap no ipas wow it was it was like a joyous I don't, occasion i
0: don't mind the existence of I, ipas just, like, I it's, don't just, it's the overwhelming yeah, it's, there's just too many yeah they've yeah. crowded out but other and, beers and richmond, other styles
2: and richmond and richmond's breweries are all heavy that's into a, IPAs. um i am
1: told that that's like an entire east coast mm-hmm. thing um it's not just yeah richmond it's not just virginia or maryland it's all up and down the Atlantic coast. It's like the hop wars uh, have never ended, Um, which is, it kind of makes me jealous talking to some of our, um, our friends that cover uh, soccer out on the Pacific coast, especially up in Cascadia, where they have a wide range of beers and people don't just make 700 IPAs at their brewery. They make maybe one or two, and then they also make one or two of the other kinds of beer.
0: Yeah. Hopefully they're Um, those we're just a few years behind them because they they had the, the hot boars out there going right. for a while, too. Or yeah. it, they at least, you know, established a style of IPA. You know, there's definitely right. a West Coast IPA style. Um, and hopefully uh, we we move past it on this coast. Please, if you're a brewery and you're listening to this, number one, please sponsor us. And number two, yeah, give us some money. Number two, uh, um, I will gladly make your make IPA, your make it good, but don't make eight of them. To the exclusion right. of other beers, make some sours, make NESB for the love like, of all that is. good.
1: You can have your eight, you can have your eight IPAs at your brewery and be like, hey, try this like limited run that we did just to show you the difference between, you know, using this sort of hops and using this sort of process, etc. But don't make that like the only thing of yours that I can find. Yes. Like switch it around like your your experimental beer that's at your brewery should be these, you know, IPA number six and number seven. And then the experiment you're doing maybe should be the ones that are out for me to buy on a day to day basis when I'm not at your facility. I'm co-signing this. These are tough times. We need we need your help. <laughs> Breweries. Be the Who heroes we sure i all listening. <laughs>
0: uh, I'm not drinking beer tonight. In fact... I'm drinking something with rum in it. I'm drinking eggnog, just Whoa. regular store bought eggnog with uh, cotton and reeds, dry spiced rum, and some freshly grated nutmeg in it. It's tasty. It's actually really so you're,
2: good. You're, you're not a you're not a bourbon. You're not a bourbon in your I, eggnog I'm guy.
0: Flexible, actually. I've I've played around this year. I I've done um, cognac. In my eggnog, I've done bourbon, I've done rye, I've done rum. Uh, Tonight, I'm on rum. Specifically, this dry spice rum. It's not too sweet. It's got some interesting flavors going on. Um, It's not quite their their allspice dram. If you've had it, it is like drinking allspice with a little bit of rum in it, Uh, (laughs) as opposed to a spiced rum. Uh, but the, this is dialed back significantly from that, but it's still got some interesting, uh, notes going on and it. It plays well with the nutmeg in the, the eggnog. So, I'm um, I'm a fan made here in DC, nice. actually not, a, not even a mile from where I sit right now. It's made.
1: Did you ask if they put any natural light in their eggnog? Uh, did we, no. didn't we talk about this last week? Yeah, we did.
2: <laughs> oh, yes. I wasn't here, so I didn't remember it quite as well. But I did listen to the episode, and now I know what Of
0: you're course talking. you did, Ben. That was totally believable. I did. Mm-hmm. I, I just, believe
1: you. I just think that we can't rule out the sure. prospect of adding a dash of natural light somehow being the accelerant to great eggnog. Well, I know this eggnog doesn't have natty light in it. Okay. Um,
0: because I poured it out of the quart into my glass with the rum and then grated the net mug, nutmeg on it. There was no, no, never a chance for natty light to enter the mix just, just for full disclosure. That's fair. MLS cup. I guess so. MLS cup. Toronto FC uh, surprised everyone a little bit out of the gate with a, a little tactical change and used it to their advantage, improving on their performance from last year's final, dominating proceedings even more thoroughly against the Sounders, and you know, actually winning this one. Came out 2-0 tallies from Josie Altador and Victor Vasquez, uh putting the Reds on top. First time a Canadian team has won MLS Cup. First championship for Toronto since the Blue Jays won the World Series in '93, I want to say. Um, you know, obviously. Did you look at the Grey cup? I, the what? The, did you look at the CFL? I did not look at the CFL. I, I think if it's an only Canadian league, it probably doesn't count. Sorry, Canada. Uh, yeah, big, big day for the reds. They, you know, got a big parade, paint the town red or, or some other, whatever. Uh, let's start with that tactical. Switch from greg vanny though t f c made their name this year best regular season in m l s history uh on a three five two very famously they they made it work really really well um and then in this one switched it up they they had used the four four two diamond as a mid game switch uh in these playoffs even but had hadn't really made it the the go to thing at the starting whistle until the final. And Jason it, it worked in a big, big way.
1: Yeah. Um and I can't help but think that Seattle kind of set themselves up to be had by this uh formation switch because uh all the I mean we had uh when we had uh Dave Clark on to talk about this, uh while the internet allowed him to be on, um, one yeah. of the, one of the things he noted was that they were expecting uh Jovan Jones to be the left back. They were not expecting him to stay up as a, a winger at that point, um as he had been previously. And by bringing in Victor Rodriguez, who's a really good player, um and having Nicolas Lodero playing on the other wing, you end up with two wingers that want to cut in. They're both inverted coming inside. They're always drifting into the middle. Um but all of a sudden you end up when those two are cutting in and you play a diamond, you're cutting into the thick of the other team's defense. Um, and on top of that, TFC had very good shuttlers, uh, op- shuttler uh, shuttling options, I should say. Um, Marky Delgado and Jonathan Osorio are both really good at tracking that kind of run and those sort of angles, and they managed to cut Rodriguez out of the game completely, and Lodero more or less was cut out of the game. I saw some criticism that he was like, uh, having a bunch of giveaways, but the, the math behind that did not add up. He, I remember I posted at halftime that he had turned over the, I, I think he was like 17 of 20 for passing. Um, which is still really good for an attacking player, but he just wasn't able to do anything with the ball. He was able to keep it moving, but he wasn't able to be dangerous. Um, and that, that really defined the game. Um, it allowed TFC to, uh, press Seattle and they pressed them relentlessly, Um, And it really – there were some characterizations that Seattle uh, just tried to be defensive again. I don't think that was the case. I think they played a very attacking lineup with the thought that they were going to put TFC's uh, defense under some real pressure. The problem was that TFC didn't let them do it. They just pushed them back uh, so often. Yeah,
0: Seattle's posture was anything. But I I know for the opening stages of this game, everyone talked about how both teams were going for it in a way that – we didn't remember anyway from from last year's MLS yeah, Cup. Yeah. I mean, when you have Joven Jones as your left back, that's not a defensive posture.
1: Yeah, and and Seattle tried to make something happen, but um, once TFC got their feet under them, it took about seven or eight minutes. I, I want to say um, they pinned Seattle back for almost the entire rest of the match, um, and it was it, it it was strange to me that we didn't see any change in response from Seattle Um because it, I think it was clear that this tactical switch from Greg Vanney had worked very well. And yeah, I, I, I want to get to Seattle. Yeah. I, well, I'll hold on. I, w- I want to get,
0: yeah, I want to get to um, Schmetzer's decision making
1: so, a little in yeah, a minute. I, I will say that, you know, what, what TFC was trying to do is, is cut out those wingers um and when you play that, that diamond and you get narrow, you can actually press more efficiently because everyone's closer together. Um, it also makes it harder to switch fields because you can't play through. You've got to go over the top and long, and those are, by definition, harder passes to complete. Um, so Seattle wasn't able to switch fields. They weren't able to break through the diamond on the ground. Um, they just couldn't get their their feet on the ball. They, they could never string together much in the way of possession. Um It took TFC a while to carve out legit chances because Seattle's defense. I mean, there's a reason they hadn't given up a goal. Uh, They'd set a by by far set a record for playoff shutout streak, Um, and that was the that and Stephen Fry playing uh, pretty spectacularly. Those were the only things keeping Seattle in the game. It wasn't like every once in a while Seattle was offering a counter threat where you're like, well, maybe Seattle gets one on the counter. Uh, This was an issue of like
0: counter attacks, but neither of them even produced a real chance right
1: and and it became more about like the only way TFC loses this is if they get frustrated that their dominance hasn't turned into a goal and they start to lose their way and I will say I think that Josie Altador's goal was like pretty close if it had been a couple more minutes if they admit if they had created that chance and didn't convert that one that might have been the moment that they lost their way and and lost their belief in their system um so it was it was a crucial time for a goal i mean it's obviously the sixty seventh minute of a zero zero game It's always a good time to score um but I think in the context of this game, missing creating that chance and not converting it would have been it would have opened the door for t f c throwing this one away um and well especially given how chippy and uh, stressed out, they were against the right, crew. Um, and, and you know, really throughout the playoffs. I mean, they hadn't. This was their best game by far of the postseason, mm-hmm. um, from top to bottom. Um, and you know, to get to to be dealing with such a difficult opponent that that even though they were able to control the game so so comprehensively, they still weren't able to do anything with it for for the longest time. They were creating these great chances, but it wasn't going in. Um, they weren't, you know the amount of dominance they had, you would have thought they would have had even more big chances than they had got. So there's two different angles of frustration and um, yeah, I think it was a crucial time for them to score. And, and I will say it's good to see the cup final go. To, I mean, TFC was the best team all season long. And on the day of the final, they put, they played pretty much their best. Um and it was rewarded, On on that angle, I think it's it's good for the league that we didn't see, uh, you know, sit in, defending and counter, and and snag a goal that way. Um, uh, it, we saw the team that went for it get their their just desserts.
0: Well, and I think we got to see both teams go for it; just one of them went for it in a a much more effective way. And I right, I want to go back to that tactical switch at the outset. That that diamond, it was almost custom made to be the the ambush for a team that tries to adjust to Toronto's 3-5-2. Because the way Seattle wanted to beat that was was get your attackers really narrow, have the fullbacks overlap, pull you out of shape with overloads, make a make a center back come out, and then hit that gap. And that required them to build through the middle, at least somewhat, to to give their fullbacks time to get forward. Toronto, by going to the diamond, they stop that from happening by clogging it up in the middle, like Jason said. And then it also gives them more numbers in a, a part of the field where they can attack the hole left by Jovan Jones because Jovan Jones leaves a hole when he plays yeah. fullback. Mm-hmm. And,
2: mm-hmm. It, yeah, and that that, that Toronto... The Toronto formation almost looked like a Christmas tree uh with in defense with the two shuttlers playing uh in a three-man shield with Bradley right in front of the back four so like you were saying uh they had nothing to do in the middle and had no space to do yeah, anything Yeah one thing
0: in the I the thought middle. was cool in possession too I expected Michael Bradley to drop between the center backs when Toronto had possession and he didn't. He didn't play the the role the way he he has with the US national team. He played it much more like Kyle Beckerman, where he was roving sideline to sideline, with the shuttlers kind of moving with him as a almost a three man unit moving back and forth together and maintaining possession and, and helping to recycle it and find new angles to attack. It it looked like a team that was really proficient in the diamond, which it, it shouldn't have. The, the they didn't have a reason to look that good in the diamond. Um, they just, they were very well prepared and, and obviously caught Seattle, um, unawares, which was, you know, made for a fun watch. Uh, we're just now talking about Michael Bradley, uh, who was dominant in this game. Maybe his best game of 2017 for any team. Um, and I think it's, it's worth highlighting
1: that, Yeah. uh, it, Let's it, oh, me, go ahead. The one thing I would note about Bradley and, and to me, this is maybe why I was frustrated with um, from a Seattle perspective for them, not making any real changes to adjust to what was going on. Um, everyone knows Clint Dempsey isn't necessarily going to be uh, doing a, a ton of defensive work. Um, he's not going to track Bradley and shut him down in possession when Seattle didn't have the ball. Um, but if you're going to play four, two, three, one and get outplayed to this degree, you have to find some, some way to shift the game, at least n- maybe not back into your favor, but at least get a little bit of it out of the, uh, the other team's hands. Um, and I think by halftime, it was a reasonable thing for Seattle to make some kind of change to the lineup on the field. Um, Will Bruin was, uh, you know, he was in the game. I saw him, but if you didn't see him physically playing, you might not have realized he was there. Um, you're not going to pull Clint Dempsey. I get that. Um, but Bruin or Rodriguez uh, probably needs to be pulled. Um, they could have then brought in Nuhu and played him at left back, Move Jones up, um, Move Lodero into a central role at that point. Um, you could move Dempsey up as the forward and then bring Lodero inside. Um, They had to find something that would allow them to get to throw Bradley's game off because other teams that have done that have shown that it really throws TFC off. Uh, The New York Red Bulls, if they had managed to combine their ability to get Bradley off his game with anything going forward, they would have knocked TFC out um, earlier in the playoffs. Columbus also uh, managed to do a really good job of keeping Bradley unsettled, and Columbus came close to knocking TFC out. Seattle never seemed that interested in stopping Bradley from playing. I think I think that their belief was that if they just played their game well enough that it wouldn't matter. Um but I think that's sort of that underestimated um how good TFC is, and I think that overestimated uh what Seattle would be able to do at full strength. Um I, I found it odd that some of the talk from from Seattle was more of a like, well, we just had a bad day. Um, we just picked the wrong game to not play our best. Um, but at least in the post game, it seemed like they didn't quite register that the whole reason they weren't able to play their best is that the other team would not allow them to do it. Um, and maybe they were just in the aftermath kind of numb and need some time to go back and re- you know, watch some tape. But um, I feel like... I I was surprised that their coaching staff didn't recognize things because they generally don't just look at a team that's out coaching them and and has a better uh, strategic setup for that game. They don't just look at them and say like, oh, well, I guess we're just going to have to play our best and see if it works anyway. Um, They usually do something about it. They usually try and change something about what they're doing. And in this game, there was sort of a deer in the headlights effect. They just kept, I mean, the first sub came in the 71st minute they didn't react until they gave up a goal. And it, that kind of informs me that they were going to stick with this uh, until maybe until if they got to zero zero and got to uh extra time, would they have changed it then? Yeah. I um, wonder if there's a change
0: they could have made without a sub earlier on. Maybe, I mean, Christian Radon is another guy who is invisible in this game. The first action I can recall him having was fouling Sebastian Jovinko 23 yards from goal. Right in the center of the of the field,
1: the, the place that you don't foul him. Yeah,
0: you know, you don't foul um, him anywhere within shooting yeah. range, and he did. Yeah, and he was lucky that Jovinko um, put it into the wall. But if I don't know if you put move him forward um, to play kind of alongside Dempsey, or maybe just in the defensive phase, have him a little bit more forward to help Mark Bradley and try to force him into more hurried passes because that that's been his issue. Like you said, if you hurry Bradley, he doesn't get to pick out those forward passes. He can't hit that big switch and he's got a lovely big switch. All right. That sounded bad. Don't take it that way. (laughs) Um, Uh, I I don't know if, if that would have gotten Rodon more involved and also helped pressure Bradley, but I mean, I don't understand why Schmetzer didn't try anything. He got his team got so right. thoroughly outplayed from the 7th minute to the final whistle.
1: Yeah, and I think part of it is like I'm, you know, when I look at their starting 11, I don't know that there's a way to move those pieces around without some other problem being exposed. Um if you want to get someone in that attacking midfield spot that's going to do more defensively. If you want to um move Lodero there or move Roldan there, then you've got to find another spot a different spot for Dempsey. If you want to shift into more of a like four one, three two defensively, um, then you've got to do that on the fly, which is something they've never done before. Right. Um, and you're also still leaving um Gustav Svensson, who's the less mobile uh member of their defensive midfield duo, you're still asking him to cover Vis- Victor Vasquez uh yeah. a lot of times on his own. Toronto FC um, so posed you, some tough problems, man. Yeah, there's no reason well, they TFC's, were so good this year. Yeah. And and the lineup that TFC had on the field is a lot more mobile and flexible. The, the group that Seattle started is a very good group, but it's also a group that if you solve their plan a, they need to make a change to get to plan B. Um, and I, I think they, when they got in at halftime, they should have made the change right then and there. Um, if anything, this was a game that almost at certain times in the first half, I found myself thinking of the old Tom Soane substitution. Mm -hmm. Um, and it wasn't to punish anybody. It was just <laughs> in a one-off game that's going that badly against you, you've got to do something. Um, it's not going to sort itself out. This was one of those games where you have to be able to tell that this isn't going to fix itself by us getting our feet under, our, uh, you know, our collective feet on the ground. It's not going to sort itself by us doing the soccer better. We need to change something as a structure, as a, as a strategic uh, idea, or else eventually we're going – at that point you kind of get reduced to, I hope some dumb luck happens to us and that's the only way. Um Yeah, I, I think at halftime they needed to remove someone. They needed to make some kind of change to the lineup um and and go from there. But instead they just uh they never really made an adjustment other than to sort of um drop off and defend a little deeper. Um you know, it, it was kind of funny watching the early going. Um, Giovenko spent a good 10 minutes just playing as a right forward. He didn't even come into the middle. Um, he just waded into the space behind Jovan Jones. He's like, I'm going to stick out here and TFC is going to find me. Um, and Jovan Jones is going to stay a little too high upfield over and over again. Um, and that's exactly what happened. Um, and it, when, he, when he finally moved in, Altidore ended up drifting out there for a couple minutes as well. Um, and it was just, you know... TFC ruthlessly exposed the problems with the lineup Seattle put on the field and Seattle never exposed any of the problems that the lineup that TFC had because uh, you play a diamond, you're conceding the flanks. Um, you're exposing yourself to getting hit down the wing uh, with speed. Joven Jones has a lot of speed. Um, if he's further up as the winger, you've got Steven Betashore occupied. You've got that outlet to um, give yourself some way to break out. But the lineup that they had on the field as it was structured, that there wasn't that breakout threat and there wasn't that width. And all of a sudden, uh, TFC is camping out in your own end. That's my phone buzzing right next to my microphone. Sorry about that. Fara <laughs> Anderson.
0: Uh, let's, you know, TFC, we we pegged them last year. Everyone pegged them last year as favorites to get back to MLS Cup this year. And lo and behold, they had the best regular season in MLS history won the Canadian championship, the Voyagers cup, whatever you want to call it. Won MLS cup, MLS's first ever treble. Um, there's been debate. Are they the best team ever? Or is it merely the best season ever? I don't know that I see a difference between that, but I mean, do you guys have any quibbles with calling this the best single season in MLS history?
1: It would be pretty impossible to argue. Um Yeah. Yeah, I The mean, fact that they set yeah. a record for points in they winning the shoot. objectively are the best team. And uh, did it in the tougher conference in MLS. Um, it wasn't like they had a bunch of easy games against the West that they could uh, beef up their point total with. Um, they did it the hard way. Um, except I guess you could criticize the uh, Voyagers Cup, but the Voyagers Cup is only one game shorter than uh, winning the U.S. Open Cup for an MLS team. So And it's also a more densely packed competition because you're playing, you you only play two opponents, but it's two legs, and your two opponents are other MLS teams. Um, They're playing Vancouver twice and Montreal twice, and those games, if you've ever watched the Voyagers Cup, those are some of the most intense games played Mm -hmm. in North American soccer, period. Um, The Voyagers Cup is usually won at the last second. Yeah, it seems uh, to matter to them more than
0: the U.S. Open Cup matters to a lot of MLS teams.
1: Absolutely a furious start to finish game. Um it's it's one of the best things you can find to watch. Um so I don't look at the Voyagers Cup as inferior. Um I know people are like, well, it's only two rounds that you have to get through. Like, yes, but you know, the rounds are more difficult. It's only one fewer game. Um and you know, they they maybe they didn't weren't so imperious throughout the playoffs until the end, but uh, they put an exclamation point on it. Um, it's there is there isn't a compelling argument as much as I want to offer one because there's so many good DC United teams that could put that argument forward better than anyone else. The fact is that DC United doesn't have a set the record for points on on route to the Shield and won two other trophies on the way. Um, that it they're just no one has this to match.
0: So, are they favorites next year
1: again? Uh yeah, pretty much. I mean, the only player in their starting lineup, um, whether it's the three five two or the diamond, however you want to slice it, uh, Drew Moore is the only guy they have to worry about replacing, and they already sort of did a little practicing for that because Nick Haglund started as a as the center of that back three a handful of times when Moore was unavailable. If you remember mid- in the middle of the season, Moore had a brief um heart scare uh that kept him out for a few games. Um this is a team that got through betashore missed like two months with um uh an internal injury after a heavy collision uh so i can't remember which organ it was, but he had some sort of uh organ problem after a really heavy collision against vancouver um you know they had so much depth all over that they were able to be flexible they were able to rotate so many guys through um i mean the only after more, the only player they might lose due to just being too old is is uh, Benoit Sheru, and he barely played. Right. Um, I mean, this team is deep and they're not old. They're not going anywhere. And there is a little
0: uh, $2.8 million infusion of discretionary TAM, which maybe we'll add that. That's not on the, the sheet for the next segment, but maybe we'll talk about that. So they they might actually have some more roster flexibility somehow next year. Well, I was thinking the only the only big possibility
2: that uh, might change up the team is what if uh, Greg Vanny gets tapped to lead the USMNT?
0: Yeah, that would that could change things up. But at this point, their roster is so good. I mean, Vanny was great in in the final. He he nailed it 100 percent. And he's been good at making changes on the fly. I would have uh, I don't know if I could muster a strong objection to his getting the nod you might argue that it's too soon but um i i don't know i i would have to think about it more but i at this point i don't know that i would object to that um especially because maybe Uh, it brings tfc back down to earth and gives the rest of us mere mortals a chance at winning some soccer games that's it for this segment stick around we will be right back to uh Talk about some news. This is filibuster. Hey Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me.
2: Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is our goats hostile?
0: Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. There is actual, legitimate, honest-to-God player news to talk about. And that means it's time for Ben. Adam's fun time, new round, news roundup you time. Still,
1: you ah. He did just get, uh, his whole room was taken over by uh, a herd of animals. That's yeah. true. So they galloped across. The awesome but man.
0: that's why you practice, so you can maintain composure when, I'm just disappointed, that's all. Nah, I don't care that much. That's completely in character and fine. Let's start with DC United. There are a couple new players coming to the Black and Red through trades uh during the little 5-minute really half-day trade window that precedes uh preceded the expansion draft um which we will get to in a moment. The the first trade a central defender from NYCFC uh Frenchman Frederick Briant um, coming down in exchange for um, some Garber Bucks and an international roster slot. Um, DC United, uh, we, we'd we all picked center back as one of the positions where DC United needed an upgrade. Ben, is Briant that upgrade?
2: I mean, overall, yes, Briant is an upgrade. Um, I think he's better than uh he's better than the level of play that any DC United center back showed last year. Um and he's good in the air, uh, which is something that DC United didn't have as good of a handle on last year, especially late. Um and so I feel like he is this year's version of Bobby Boswell, is what it looks like he's gonna be positioned as. But I was just hoping for something more than that. I was hoping for Maybe a low DP level uh, uh, center back signing or maybe a high non-DP level center back signing. But this is a little lower than what I was hoping for, but it's definitely in line with what uh, Ben Olsen and Dave Casper do, especially once they spent some money over the summer.
0: Yeah, especially with the um, the $2.8 million of TAM that teams are allowed to buy. Um this year, I was hoping for a TAM level player, but uh, Briant makes some sense. If you recall the Sean Franklin experiment last year, a center back who can play out of the back. Briant has spent, what, two years now with NYCFC?
1: Yeah, two years. Um,
0: playing exactly that style, and he's used to it. And NYCFC have been very good for the last couple of years playing that style. So I think there there is a logic to it. He's 32, um, and signed a two-year deal. This this will probably be it for his career after he's done. But um, he he's not the one I would have expected, or who would have been at the top of my list. But I do see the logic in it. Jason, what's your take?
1: Uh, I'm in line with with Ben uh, on that on the idea that it's maybe not, you know. The signing you're like wow this is a really good one um but that's not to say that it was a bad one it doesn't mean that if the signing isn't great that it must be terrible um i think it was a an affordable move um it made it was probably one of those things where it's like do we roll the dice and wait and see if we can do better or do we take a, a decent to good decent to good um option right now um The price tag wasn't high. Um, I know a lot of people are worried about international roster spots, but... We'll get to that. that Yeah, it's not really that big of a thing to worry about. Um, Briant addresses a need. Um, This team needed to be uh, a little more consistent defensively, or consistent everywhere. But, um, you know, the fact that the team... United really was vulnerable uh, in terms of winning their duels. Not just headers, but a lot of other things. Um, they, throughout the year, I, I saw them losing the overall team dual stat over and over again. And Briant was a major leader with NYCFC on the, on that side of things, um, producing a, a ton of defensive actions, uh, headers and interceptions and other things that, you know, maybe aren't the most eye-catching plays, but they're the plays that win games. Um, I don't necessarily think he's, uh, I mean he's definitely not a long-term answer because of his age. Um that's I'm a little leery about that. Um, but I do think there's something to the idea that United wants to be a little bit better uh in possession. They want to be a team that can not just necessarily play out of the back, but they need to be a team that can break the lines playing out of the back. Um they don't necessarily I don't think Ben Olsen's ever gonna to put together a team that wants to connect a ton of passes in that area of the field. Um, but I do think he wants his team. He wants his center backs to be able to connect with a winger on the ground, um, and actually put someone into a dangerous spot from those areas of the field where it's not, okay, we need to get the defensive midfielder on the ball and then he can pass it forward to the number 10 and then they can make the through ball. Um, adding that element of variety, um, would be nice. Now, Breon's not Laurent Simon on that front. Um, but he's an improvement in that department and that helps. um, And the the going price for
0: Laurent Simon, we'll we'll talk about later, was was a bit higher than the price for Brian, too. Um, And
1: and I think, you know, pursuing another player with a good record in the air um, to partner with Steve Bernal, I think the idea is we're going to see a team that wants to be defensively compact and force teams to pump crosses in. And they just want to win win those crosses, win the headers um, over and over again and defend their box that way. Um, United was not that great at forcing teams into just pumping crosses in. They were sort of vulnerable to all kinds of attacks. And I think maybe the idea here, and and I could be reading a little too much into it, but, um, getting two really good players in the air, um, sort of like Vancouver, um, has done with, uh, Kendall Waston and Tim Parker is force teams to play a more predictable style and then Mm -hmm. be good at defending that style. And then you don't have so many defensive problems to deal with. Um, which is a it's a forward thinking thing because this is a team that lost Bill Hamid um, that Steve Clark is is he's in the fold, but he's not Bill Hamid. So you've got to give up fewer chances. You've got to find a way to be better at um, making it easy on your goalkeeper. And one way to do it is to make it easier or as a team, make it make the whole thing easier um, and then be really good at defending the one thing you're going to give away. And I think that's where they're going with this. That was my thought as um, well. But but I, but I, mean, I that,
2: that's that's what they did in 2014 when they had the first year of Bobby Boswell and Steve Birnbaum. They just made everybody pump crosses in, and together they just headed them all away.
1: Yeah, and I think they're going back to that. I think they, um, maybe I I get the sense they might have felt that this year's team was going to be able to do that, but they were not able to do it. Obviously. Um, which we dealt with for an entire season of them not being able to yeah, do it. If
0: that was the thought, um, I don't love the idea. I, I, I further don't love the idea of Sean Franklin being in there as a, an aerial presence.
1: Right. But not um, seems yeah, to
0: provide that aerial presence. Also a threat on yeah, set pieces. Not, uh, if not scoring, right, then least knocking things down.
1: Uh, there aren't any signs that he's physically um, slowing down or anything. Um, whereas with Franklin, I think, part of the move to mm-hmm. play him in the middle was also to prolong his career. I don't see any anything with Bryant in the past year with NYCFC. I didn't see anything where it was like they might need to change how they use him to keep him uh, as a usable player. Um, I don't think we're at that stage. We might be at that stage come the end of his contract, the, the two-year deal he's got. Um, but right now for 2018, and let's be honest, DC United needs to um, – Really do well in 2018. They need to make. They need to reintroduce themselves to a lot of uh, people in the area. Um, and the best way to do it is to win games. So um, I can understand them maybe here and there making choices that are based on making sure 2018 is good, even if it no- doesn't necessarily promise three or four good years. And I'm not saying you know sign a bunch of guys that are 32 that are have one last good year in the tank. Don't do that. Um, but maybe. Add a couple, I can live with a couple. Um, especially given that we're looking at a midfield that has four guys that are under twenty-four and one guy who's uh turning twenty-nine, I think, late in the year. So that's tolerable, I think, if you've got youth elsewhere.
0: The attack also has a guy now, um, entering his prime, twenty seven year old Darren Maddox, the name may sound familiar to some of you, uh, acquired from the Portland Timbers uh for uh I forget exactly what I think. Again, allocation money and an international roster slot. Um, Wasn't it just an international it have, roster? It spot? may have been. Uh, yeah, I, think, I think the deal was just the okay. international spot. Um, in any event, DC United exercises options, his option on his contract with Briant, they actually agreed to a, a new contract that I think involves somewhat of a pay cut in exchange for, an extra year essentially uh with maddox they just exercised his option uh he'll be joining he can play forward he can play on the outside the the guy is an athletic um presence on the field he's got speed for days leaping ability uh that that might be unrivaled in mls he's literally jumped over defenders not reached higher them, but
1: cleared them and landed on the other side of them standing, not like stooping very much, just like straight up standing up being, you know, six, one, like NBA slam dunk
0: contest (laughs) jumped over the guy. Um, Yeah. The story on him, however, has been his finishing. Isn't always there. His uh, end product isn't always there. He's got all the tools, just hasn't always made them count. And that's why he's projected to start the season for DC United as a spot starter and a sub, but he can be an impact sub in this league. And I, I i know I'm not the only one who has, you know, had my eye on him around the league saying I would love for him to play for my team. Um, and now he does. So so welcome to D.C., Darren Maddox.
2: Yeah, I think he is a great signing as long as he is not the projected starter in any position. Like, if, he, if it's just him and Patrick Mullins competing for the forward spot, that's not a good situation come March. Uh, obviously, he's not going to start in front of uh, Stieber or Areola, but if he's coming in off the bench in all of those positions and giving DC United the ability to have uh, a lot of different looks and to have someone with Darren Maddox's speed just blazing down the wings uh, in the 65th minute or the 70th minute, Uh, then that's a really good signing for DC United and that gives them a level of depth that they haven't had uh, in, in recent years.
1: Yeah. um, I I mean, Ben, Ben brings up a good point. Um, The the way we view this deal shouldn't just be in the context of, well, he's not good enough to be the starting center forward. So, um, you know, that's the deal's bad. Um, I saw a little bit of that in the early reaction, and I was a little puzzled by it because you have to think of it as he's adding something different to the portfolio that DC United has for their attack. Um, he is – I'm not making this comparison because they're both Jamaican internationals, but because they really do play a very similar style. He and DeShorn Brown are very similar players. It's just that Maddox is faster uh, he's better in the air. He has a longer record of being uh, a good part of playoff teams than Brown does. Um, he's basically an upgrade of the same type of player. Um, he can play wide left. That might be where he's best. Um, he can play as a center forward as well. He was starting for Portland in the playoffs as, as a center forward because Fernando Adi was hurt. Um, so I, th- I think he's an upgrade on that type of player. Um and it's certainly something United could use uh, whether he's just subbing in frequently um, or if he's actually a more regular starter. I I think it's more likely to be the sub thing um, because I don't think he's going to displace Paul Areola. I don't think he's going to displace Zoltan Stieber. Um, And I, I feel like we're still trending towards a designated player signing as a forward. Um, But he's in the rotation and it's, it's good to have different options, you know, um, there are going to be games where you need a player like Patrick Mullins to hold play up uh, to be good in the air. There are going to be games where you need pure speed um, to beat a team on the ground. And if you need speed and you're looking to sub a forward in, you're not really going to look for, for Mullins. That's not his game. Um, so having that other option is a really uh, – it's a real positive, I think. Um, I was higher on Maddox at this time last year than I am right now. But that's not to say that I think this was not a reasonable move. I think it's a reasonable addition. Um, that once we look back on the, the off season, if we see, you know, if they sign a designated player striker and he's uh, Nemanja Nikolic, then Maddox is probably also going to have a good season just as a knockdown effect. Um, but if the designated player signing is like Christian Coleman uh, of FC Dallas then we're probably going to see Darren Maddox starting a bunch of games as a forward. And we're going to say, wow, that that whole thing didn't go very well, did it? Um, That's not necessarily Maddox's fault. Um, If he's within the right range of the depth chart where he's maybe player number 12 or player number 13, then this is probably a really good move. And again, a very cheap move, uh, all things considered. When you're talking about how much speed he brings to the table, um, normally when you look around MLS, you've got to pay a premium for speed you've got to pay a premium for um, difference makers in your attack in general. Um, I mean, Dominic Oduro has plenty of critics, but he's consistently been making 250, 300,000 a year, no matter where he ends up. And it's because people are willing to pay for speed because they know that speed can change games all by itself. Um, And Maddox adds to that Maddox, um, along with Bruno Miranda and Paul Areola, all of a sudden United can throw real speed at teams if, if they need to. Um, And When the 2016, the back half of that, we saw an attack that wanted to move forward quickly, um, that wanted to get in behind. There was a real um, rush to get forward, but not necessarily play long. They just wanted to get in behind you no matter how – however they figured it out was how they figured it out. But the idea was to play at speed, to play this sort of track meet soccer. And if that's the way forward for this team to be good and more entertaining, then you're going to need speed all over the place, and this is – a big part of that. So hopefully that's where we're going with it. Um, hopefully this is not the end of the moves. That would be a major disappointment if it was, but it would also be a major shock if it was Right. the, the off season um, was about yeah.
0: three and a half hours old when this, right. This, this move and, was made. So and it, and they,
2: they, and disgusting.
0: they couldn't, they, they, it has to they be
2: literally couldn't do anything else because it was a half day intra league, tr- uh, trade window. Yeah. It, 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 And it was so close to the end of the season that they weren't going to announce any overseas signings or discovery signings or anything like that uh, this early in the offseason.
1: And and I will note that I I think um, some of the reaction is pretty understandable because as DC United fans, we really haven't had anything to talk about since uh, the end of October. Um, We've been sitting around like, so what do you guys want to talk about? Uh, um, You know, looking back over things that we already – no, we've, we sort of had to, you know, do these season reviews and other things like that. Um, we haven't had new things to talk about with this team very much. So um, there is a certain uh, it's completely reasonable to want to see more uh, when you finally get that little moment where something could happen. Um, one last thing about Maddox um, that I'll, I'll keep brief with Paul Ariola on the right wing. If you're playing Maddox on the left wing, Um, and you have another center forward making the near post run. If Maddox is the guy crashing the far post, that could be a potentially very lucrative, uh, connection because Paul Ariel is going to get those chances to hit crosses. He's going to beat his man on the right. And if he's having to aim at the back post, you want someone who is fast and strong and and able to get up and win those headers. Um, and, and that's Maddox's game. So it could be, A kind of thing where he scores several goals this year despite not being a starter. He could be the guy that gets seven, eight goals uh, as a game-changing sub, and it might be predictable, but it might also be like, yeah, you know it's coming, but what are you going to do about this guy who's this fast and can jump this high? You can't really do anything about it, so, you know, just deal with it. Um, And that's that's not a bad position to be in. That's something United couldn't really say this past season. So, Jason, you mentioned it a couple of times. Uh,
0: DC United sent uh, an international slot to NYCFC for Briant, to Portland for Maddox. Briant also takes up an international slot. Uh, Maddox has his green card, so he he counts as a domestic player. United uh, had four international slots uh, coming back that, that were available and not already spoken for coming into this offseason. They've now used three of them, meaning they have one international mm-hmm. slot left, this has caused some some hand wringing, I know, among the Black and Red United um, readership and commentariat. Uh, I know I would like to see at least one more acquired sometime this off season because they are generally cheaper in the the winter than they are in the especially mid season.
1: A, a new team just brought uh, LAFC comes in with extra ones. They don't just come in with the normal allotment. I believe they come in with ten rather than eight. Hmm. Um, I think I think you get one extra that expires after a certain amount of time. Um, I don't have the full tome of expansion team rules in front of me, but <laughs> they're bringing extra ones into the market. So the market now has more than it ever has. So they're, they're, now is the time to be a buyer in that market rather than, um, you know, when everyone's full, full up and then you're mid-season you're like, oh, how do we make this new signing fit? Um, you don't want to be the team then. You want to be the team in need. If you're going to ever be in need of one, Now's the time to be that team. So, hopefully, it, I would like to see more than
0: one new signing come in from, from outside the league. Uh, that'll probably require um, at least one international slot. They have one. If they need to acquire another one, hopefully, they'll, they're they able to do that. Like I said, uh, at least as far as a prorated price, they they tend to be cheaper now. Uh, even in years when there's not a, a bumper crop of them coming up from... Uh, the east side of Los Angeles, uh, right. So, uh, next bit of news: Steve Clark, goalkeeper uh, who played the the end of the season for DC United. He had been in talks with with the team for for weeks, and they'd been said to be close. Now they're done. He is resigned a one year deal. Um, he'll be back. We mentioned Briant is a guy who at center back is used to playing out of the back. The crew played out of the back religiously with Steve Clark back there. He's I, I the opposite I would say is Sean Johnson, which is funny because he went to NYCFC. Um But, but Steve Clark is a guy who's almost too comfortable with the ball at his feet. As you know, we saw in MLS cup 2015, I guess it was Um, mm-hmm. when, when, he was a little too casual, and Diego Valeri tackled the ball into the net. We don't want to see that happen with DC United, but he is a guy who's comfortable with the ball at his feet. So, if DC United does go with a more uh, a slower build possession style, he's a guy who can be useful in in that uh, playing out of the back. Um, we we talked about him earlier this offseason in Cake or Death. So, I don't know how much time we should spend on him right now more interesting i would say is the news today broken by steve goff of the washington post as if i have to explain where steve goff is from uh <laughs> dc united academy and university of maryland product eric williamson will not be returning to college next year for his senior year he is go or junior year senior year jason uh, it would have been his senior year. Okay. I was right the first time. I shouldn't have second guessed myself. Uh Williamson has signed an agent. He's precluded from going back to college, uh, at least to play soccer. He is going pro. Goff says that he has uh he's going to pursue some opportunities in Europe, and DC United is going to make him a homegrown offer. Hopefully he he follows Ian Harks and um joins D'C United. Uh We've mentioned his name a few times, but we've never really talked about where he would fit with DC United. He's played all over the place for Maryland and the uh, youth national team. Jason, tell us a little bit about Williamson's game and and where you think he might fit.
1: Uh, He's a, I I, I tend to use the word attacker. um, When we talk about attacking players who don't have a defined uh, best position, Um, his best burst of form at, at, in his three years at Maryland was playing as a second forward in a four, four, two diamond. Um, he's played on the U S youth national teams as a number eight and as a attacking number eight, um, in a sort of a weird dual number eight kind of setup. Um, so he's played a few different roles at Maryland this year. He was often at the point of a diamond, but um, they would switch things up on the fly sometimes he would play wide right for half an hour uh maybe for a full game other times wide left sometimes he would shift as a forward um sometimes they played four three three and he played as one of the wide forwards um so he's he's that's why i say attacker rather than forward or midfielder or winger because he can kind of do it all um i think on this team with the formation being either four two three one or four four or four one four one. Um, in either formation, I expect him to be more of a winger on this team. Um, but a winger who cuts in and looks to create. So, um, not so much like Paul Areola, but more like Zoltan Stieber or Lloyd Sam. Um, I think that's where he's going to be at his best as a pro. Um, I think that gets him closer to goal where he can then become, uh, more of a goal threat where I think that's maybe he's more of a goal scorer than a chance creator, in my opinion. Um but as a winger on DC United, I would expect it to be more of a 50 50 balance. Um, this year he had six goals, five assists for Maryland, uh, ended up leading the team in goal scoring, but that's not really that was not the plan. Uh, they thought Gordon Wilde would be by far the team's leading goal scorer, and he just couldn't couldn't put it together um, the back half of the season. Um, so Williamson ended up being kind of having to take over. Um but half of his goals came in one game. If anyone watched that uh five four game at Wisconsin, um you saw Eric Williamson score half of his goals for the year. Um sounds like DC United's leading goal scorer for the year. A little bit. Yeah. Uh another another terp. Um yeah. But yeah, uh I I think in this formation it would be interesting to see um I, first of all, I think Williamson would be making the eighteen every game and would be an often used sub. Um, I think him and Maddox uh, would both be guys, at least with the team as it is right now, I would expect to see them subbing in frequently because we know Olsen likes to uh, substitute his forward and one of his wide midfielders pretty much every game, unless he can't, unless there's something else has come up that prevents it. Those are two subs he likes to make every single game. It's because he asks a lot of those players and he wants to freshen it up. It makes It makes sense. It's the least invasive sub to make. You don't have to ask anybody else to really shuffle around Uh, to make those moves. Um, But I think he would be in the rotation and getting pretty regular appearances, um, especially with Lloyd Sam currently not coming back. I mean, they still could, uh, you know, the word was that they were going to consider the possibility of of offering him a new deal. If they were to sign Williamson, I would say there's not really much of a point in making that offer anymore. Um, But uh, the possibility remains that he could end up being uh, someone who plays as more of a goal-scoring number 10 um, when Lucho is unavailable. It could be when you fit all the pieces together, it could be that he plays better as the 10 and Zoltan Stieber is the actual playmaker even though he's technically wide left. Or we could see that switched, where Stieber is better in the middle and Williamson ends up coming in from the left. It could be something like that. Um, but his his versatility, I think, is an asset and I think it means he can fit in with the you know, the variety of players involved. I think he can fit in with a lot of different one, uh, a lot of the different um, setups that he could be in, you know, whether he's playing with Ariola on the field or not, um, whether Lucho is in, obviously the the season opener, we know at the very least will be a game where Lucho will not be in. Um, so there'll be at least one game where that option is open. Um, it, it he really, I think he fills a, a a role on the roster that's needed, and I think he would be good at that. He wouldn't just be a guy that you're like, okay, we have our guy for this, but you know, I'm not sold on him. I think he would be ready to go. Um, I don't have too many doubts uh, um, on that front, um, but at the same time, I, I do wonder what Olsen views him as because there is this. Um, he is Williamson has sort of divided opinions as far as what his best position is with the youth national team. It seems like they only view him as a central player um, at Maryland. He was pretty much given a lot of freedom. Um, they moved him around based on matchups. Um, in my observation, I think he's probably going to be more of a wide player, but um, you know, if Olsen sees something in him that, that maybe makes more sense uh, and I'm talking about it as if the deal is done because of course um, he still has to sign he He would still have to sign um they haven't made that offer yet. it's just a thing they intend to do um and we've heard a couple of rumors I know Stephen Streff has heard a couple of rumors as well that um Williamson's interest in Europe is not just him saying, well like well, I need to have some sort of leverage when it comes to contract negotiations um there were stretches of time where i I know I felt like maybe it was less than fifty fifty that he was going to end up with d c especially when uh Last season he was playing with the youth national team Maryland was doing much better um I think the the threat of him going abroad was maybe a little higher then um so yeah i, I don't think the negotiation is clear cut by any means um but I think it's more likely i think it's more likely today uh, than it was a year ago that he ends up with d c so that's a positive and I think um there's a place for him um and I, I would much rather see that sort of option go towards a guy like Williamson than to see DC United sign, you know, I hate to pick on Sebastian Latou, but we found ourselves in like what late January, early February, still needing s- someone to fill out the complement of a uh, wide midfielders. And we ended up signing a guy that was past him. Yeah. Um, I would rather see that go towards someone who is going to get better uh, rather than someone who it's like, well, I hope he has one more good year in him. Because usually the answer to that, especially with D.C. United in recent years, has been, no, he does not have one more good year. Nope.
0: <laughs> so that's it for uh, for D.C. United news. Uh, we mentioned LAFC. They um, they have some players now. They've actually traded some of those players away. Uh, mm-hmm. The expansion draft was today. We're recording on Tuesday this week. Uh, five players from around MLS went to LAFC, at least on paper. Um, none of them coming from DC United. United uh, lost nobody and didn't lose Bill Hamid's rights either. Came out unscathed, which is good. Uh, I, I bring this up on, on a DC United podcast because there's at least one interesting name remaining that was taken in today's expansion draft that that could be worth uh trading for though if eric williamson comes into the fold maybe becomes less uh less interesting but um the word is that lafc could trade all five of the, the guys they they selected today and i think that that reporting comes basically from bob bradley has has basically said that uh They took a backup goalkeeper from Seattle, Tyler Miller. They took Latif Blessing from Sporting Kansas City. He's the interesting name. Spoilers. Uh, (laughs) Attacker outside. uh, Outside attacker. I think he can play some forward as well. Uh, Ghanaian with a green card. uh, So he doesn't count as an international. Marco Urania, who uh, you've seen get behind defenses at an incredibly high rate and miss one-on-one opportunities with the goalkeeper at almost as high a rate. Uh, except against, except the, against the U.S. national team when it matters Cup <laughs> qualifying, of course. Right. But for San Jose, the guy can miss him with the best. Right. Uh, he was selected from the Quakes. Uh, Yuka uh, Raitala, uh, fullback from Finland and the Columbus crew, was taken. Raheem Edwards from Toronto. Um, young, kind of spark plug outside... Uh, attacker uh, was taken Canadian international as well. Both Edwards and Rayetala were traded immediately to Montreal for Laurent Simon. I mentioned earlier, his price is a little higher than, than Fred Briant. And uh, that's what it would have taken. It would have taken,
1: uh, not as high as I would have expected. No,
0: maybe not. Uh, although although the, the word was that, that Simon was done with Montreal. Um, he he felt burned by that organization for I think more off field reasons than on field. He he felt that he was promised some things with regards to his family. He's got um, a particular situation. He did complain
1: about that once publicly, yeah. and then um, there were the the issues sort of quieted down. So maybe the impact made some effort to um, meet his concerns. But uh, yeah, it, the situation was weird because apparently he also was upset that no one told him this was going on right. until it was like oh you've been traded you're like you have to move to los angeles now He's like, wait who what now yeah um welcome to
0: MLS, dude n- yeah that's not the best part about the league right uh-huh. uh, but two of the five guys selected by lafc are already gone um to montreal of all places so um let, let's talk about these guys i I, I don't think DC United needs another backup goalkeeper, so we're not going to mention Tyler Miller's name anymore. Um, right. I, I, Tyler Miller. <laughs> thank you, Jason. I think I betrayed my thoughts on uh, Marco uh, He's he He's got one thing he does pretty well, and that's run fast behind defenses. Not even that fast. His timing is just really spectacular when it comes to getting in he, behind. His timing is
1: good. He, he also... He works extremely hard. Yeah, um, that's fair. And there there are, there, are was a slight thought in my head that was like, this is the kind of forward that Olson would want. But given that we just acquired Darren Maddox and have Patrick Mullins and Bruno Miranda, I don't think he's going to want another. Like, if you add Urania to that group, it's not really that diverse. And you're also then, what do you do when you do go out and sign your expensive forward? So, yeah. Um, and especially
2: with the re-entry draft and the and free agency coming up. I, I think right. they'd, they're probably going to go other directions.
0: So I, I said it at the outset, the name I'm actually intrigued by is one that, you know, I didn't expect to be on the exposed list. Honestly, Latif Blessing from Sporting Kansas City now on paper on a part of Bob Bradley's LAFC. Um, he scored uh i think three goals in league competition this year plus three more in the open cup um including one in the final yeah he he's an interesting player jason
1: yeah uh blessing is uh, uh he came from the ghanaian league uh he had led that league in scoring at 19 years old and then was brought in by kansas city it was sort of a at first it was like, Oh, he's gonna be the backup for um Dom Dwyer and then it was like, Well, actually we're gonna start him as a wide forward instead. Um and there's a reason for that. That wasn't just a like, oh our plan A failed, so we better think of what to do. Um Blessing is five foot seven. Um so you can't really play him as a center forward in MLS. Google lists okay. him. At I, I, would be, I would be. I would not be shocked if it's actually maybe it's five seven when he puts his studs on. Um he's not a big guy. He's not yeah. uh, he's not even like the kind of shorter player who still is pretty muscular, like Dom Dwyer, for example. Um, He's small, he's thin. Um, It's not to say that he's just easy to push around or anything, but um, he's not built like a center forward for most MLS teams. There are very few teams in this league that I think could incorporate him uh, successfully as their center forward. Um, But down the wings, uh, I could see him doing some real damage for a team. I mean, Keep in mind that DC United, I know Dave Casper in a couple of interviews had referred to the what we would call the four one four one. He referred to it as a four three three. Um and so if, if you bring in a player like Blessing and say, like, okay, you're it's the same as Kansas City, you're still a wide forward. Um, we do things a little differently here, but you're still um broadly speaking, doing that same job just like you did out there, um, then it starts to make a a little more sense. You know, I look at their um protected list and i think they got burned by the number of international players they ended up having to uh work around um yeah and that was even right. after they, they did some work to away. avoid um things yeah. being worse um they they had one of Further the weirdest exposure. deals of all time in that they yeah. acquired kenwin jones just to have uh just to set their um international spots to to limit the damage that they were going to end up having to deal with um They've blessing. Blessing, by the way, isn't one of those internationals. He has a green card. Um, they got him a green card within a year of his arrival, which is remarkable. Um, I kind of am jealous of teams that do that uh, on a regular basis because it would really help DC United. Um, but yeah, it's probably not as I. I really doubt they wanted to leave him out there. Um, but I, I also find myself thinking that maybe he's the one that LAFC because LAFC has told both stories. They've said. We could trade everybody, and they've also said we're really happy with all five players. Um, which is of course what you want to do. You want people to not know what you want so that when they negotiate with you, they think they've gotta sell you on the idea that you're you're giving the players up. Um you know, with uh with Blessing, with his age, um I can't remember his salary. It's not, Right. Yeah, he's, he's 20, twenty years, years old. old, he's not that yeah. expensive. Um his potential is pretty high, he adds that speed. We know Bob Bradley's team's have a history of being more of a hit you on the break uh, approach rather than being a uh, possess and front foot all the time kind of team. Um, I, I think there's something to it being maybe more difficult to get him, but then at the same time, they did also trade Raheem Edwards away today. So maybe they're not that concerned with, because uh, Raheem Edwards is another very young speedster. Um, maybe they're not all that concerned with uh, that angle of things. Um if DC hadn't acquired Maddox, I would be more interested in blessing. Um, Exactly. That, yeah. And and any, uh, you know, if, if the raw, if they hadn't done so much to upgrade their wings before, or if they were in the process of moving towards a two forward system, then I would be a little more interested. But I think in this case, it's just, it's a good player that doesn't quite fit. It would just be one too many basically for DC. Um, especially given that LAFC is probably going to be asking quite a bit for his rights.
0: So up next in the, um, wild carousel ride that is the MLS off season is the re-entry draft two stages of it. You get it for, for two, I think two episodes They're a week apart. Uh, I, I didn't look list, the calendar. We're recording
1: make... on the 12th. Well, the list will come out. Yeah. Uh, I want to say, on the 13th at like 7 p.m. And then these, which means it'll come out no earlier than the next day. And then a week after that is stage two. And they, they they do release, they release a stage two list the day before because players can opt out or opt in. Um, There's usually like one random player that opts in or out. Um, Usually if somebody opts in for stage two, it means that they know someone's going to take them. Um, to to pay attention. So so including this yes.
2: including this episode, it'll be three episodes right. of
0: reentry so draft. Quick Paul. outline of how the reentry draft works. It was introduced by not the current CBA but the CBA before that um, as kind of a precursor to free agency. It, it's a middle zone where you've been in the league long enough that that the team that has your contract doesn't just keep you um, for because MLS doesn't like player movement all that much. Um, But you haven't been in the league long enough to have earned free agency yet. You're in that middle zone. And so stage one means you are, if you're out of contract, they have to, the team that selects you has to offer you your contract plus a little bit, 5% or something like that. Um, And if you had your option declined, then they have to exercise that option stage two they're free to just negotiate with you and offer you a pay cut essentially so generally a few more players are selected in stage two than in stage one but fewer and fewer players it seems have been selected through this mechanism each year in 2014 dc united or i guess it, it was the end of 2013 dc united got bobby boswell sean franklin through this uh and was really able to remake the core of their team for, for at least a couple of years through it. Don't expect that to happen this year. It's
2: right. Especially since uh, the introduction of free agency, a lot of players who would have been in, in the reentry draft uh, are now in free agency. And so I think it's going to decline even further, which was probably the players associations hope when they went for, Uh, free agency and hopefully it'll continue to decline and free agency will take up a bigger portion of the uh, movement of players within MLS.
0: So we'll have more on this next week. I assume Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, That's all I have on the, the show sheet this week. Anything else you guys want to talk about or should we get out of here?
2: Yeah. There'll probably be a lot of news this week to talk about on next week's show. so
0: So stay tuned. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Find us at blackandredunited.com, where We are also on Patreon. If you feel like supporting us financially, patreon.com/filibuster is the place to do that. Find us on Twitter at filibusterDCU for the podcast, at Black and Red U. for the website. send your emails to filibuster at gmail.com we're on itunes stitcher soundcloud google play internet archive wherever you can find podcasts we're probably there if if you can find podcasts somewhere and we're not there let us know send your email to filibuster at gmail.com mostly though tell a friend about the show we really appreciate it when you do that and it is probably the best way to spread the word um because word of mouth is a real thing don't I I don't know who says it's not, but don't believe that person. (laughs) It's probably Jason. Don't believe Jason. Anyway, we'll talk to you real soon for Jason and Ben. I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. I'm going to bed. Don't listen to him. He's lying. (laughs) He never sleeps.